0: Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit livexlive.com or search LiveX Live in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now.
1: Hey there, welcome to another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. I'm Andrew Brand. It's going to be a different kind of podcast today. Attuned to the times and what's going on. It just feels weird to talk about other things beyond uh, the unrest in the country, unsettling times that we are, not only because of the pandemic and this unprecedented virus that has taken so many lives and is so virulent and infectious, and then of course what happened these past seven, eight, nine days uh, emanating out of the suffocation of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and it's what everyone's talking about, it's what the world is, it's the one story that can and has, I guess, displaced an unprecedented pandemic that, again, has killed over 100,000 people and has caused 40 million unemployed. Uh, This is really a story where I can relate it to some personal experience, but also, obviously, sports, and we're going to bring in sports, so I want to do that. Uh, I want to get some business out of the way, Uh, the business of sports, of course, the name of this podcast, because we're in this phase, let me just talk about this quickly, and not even really about the NFL, more Major League Baseball, we're in this phase where it's cutting time in terms of whether we're going to have these sports or not, not football, they got time, as I've talked about all along, the NFL has the luxury of time, can watch and wait, see what happens with the three Ts, with tracing, with testing, with treatment. Watch this bubble concept develop with the NBA that looks likely to be headed to Orlando. It looks likely that NHL will also have a season. It looks likely that Major League Soccer will have a season also in Disney World in Orlando on their fields. So that's all going. But baseball, here we are, and I've said this a couple times and I'll say it off the get. Here is where we are with baseball. We are in serious danger of not having a baseball season. And the reason, let this sink in, the reason is not, not the pandemic. (laughs) There's a 67-page memo about all the things they're going to do and no spitting and all those things, and people sort of laughed at that, but they'll get that done, or if they haven't already. They'll get the safety and health protocols done and how to deal with treatment, how to deal with positive tests and infections. They're going to get that done. But what they don't seem to be able to get done is the finances. So quickly, we've got back and forth proposals. The owners uh, and players, well, the players thought the owners had the agreement back in March that uh, if things go south due to the pandemic and they have to play a shortened season, it would be under prorated salaries. And the owners said not so fast. It's not, we didn't say that. We said prorated salaries if they're fans. Without fans, it's a different economic model, and 40% of revenues are due to gate, and they offered this sliding scale of pay based on revenue sharing, and the top earners would really get about 75% pay cuts, and lower earners would get less, maybe more like a prorated 50% pay cut, assuming it's an 82-game schedule about half the season. The players, of course, balked at that back and forth. The players say, we want proration, we want a longer season. Owners, of course, say, no, we're not doing that. What seems to be the latest offer from management is that you want proration, you got proration. But it's going to be 50 games. So really, the owners are saying, this is how much we want to pay you. And we offered to pay it to you over a longer season. Longer season, yeah, 82 games. But with all this reductions that could be as much as 75% for the, for the Garrett Coles and the Mike Trouts, or we can give everyone prorated at 50 games. And it's really about the same number. And, of course, the players are going to balk at this. So that's where we are. Deadline spur action. I don't know when the deadline is coming. Probably pretty soon because they want to get this going. They want to get playing games by July. And we're now early June. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, listen, I continue to stand by this statement. If we don't have baseball and there's a very realistic shot we won't, I'd say it's about 50-50. It won't be because of the pandemic. Think about that and it's a preview that what's to come in the NFL now NFL revenues only 20% is really related to game day ticket sales compared to 40% for baseball but the NFL and the NFL are gonna have to get together and negotiate not the way baseball is because baseball is getting losing at least half its season football as we approach it is not gonna lose any of its season it's just a question of fans and diminution of revenues and how to deal with a reduced 2021 cap and get ahead of that in 2020. All the things I've talked and written about for weeks, and now the NFL media seems to be catching on like this is going to happen. It'd be nice if they credited Andrew Brand in writing about that, but whatever. It happens. I'm used to it. All right. So baseball is happening now or not. I think by the time I talk to you next next week, We'll know if baseball is happening or not. I'd probably give it 60-40 that they do come to an agreement because of the financial risk on both sides. But I'm not so sure. Because it keeps going back and forth. There's obstinacy on both sides. There is this rumor that some owners, small markets, may be better without a season of any length without fans. So, you know, and then the final point on that is you get these people, and I just, I'm so sick of it. That say, oh, baseball is going to lose their audience. They're going to screw it up. Well, okay, but who? Who are you blaming? I mean, it's easy to say they should just make a deal, but who? It's like everyone who says that should like think about their negotiations where they haven't given in on something because they don't feel it's right, whether in principle or the money. So it's just too easy to say, well, baseball should get a deal. They're going to ruin themselves. People aren't going to come back to baseball. Yeah, great. Okay, who gives in owners or players? and people say, "Well, both, well, okay, both feel they have now what So I think it's too easy and, and i do I do see a sentiment towards ownership in these negotiations, just like I did in the c b a negotiations for football. It's just it's a it's a, it's a phenomenon where you see a lot of media and fans side with ownership in collective negotiations but seem to side with players in individual negotiations when really, you know, it's kind of talking off both sides of their mouth. What are they? Are they pro player or are they pro owner? And you can say, well, each side, each situation's different. Well, if you're, if you're rooting for Dak Prescott to get as much as you want, then you definitely should root for the players collectively to get as much as they want. If you're rooting for pick your baseball star to get as much as he can, then you're rooting for the players to be as, stubborn, obstinate, firm in negotiations as they should. So again, I, I think it's not as simple as saying, hey, they should get it done. Well, who, why, how? The devil's in the details. Hey there, guys. I wanted to tell you about something new. I've launched a Patreon account, patreon.com slash Andrew Brand. People have asked about getting more content, more insight, more information from me, and now that's available through various tiers. If you're able to join on patreon.com, You can get shout-outs from me. You can get the Business of Sports podcast transcripts. You can get Ask Andrew Questions, weekly newsletters, all kinds of ways to interact with me, including a monthly conversation about whatever you want to talk about, jobs in the sports industry, breaking into sports. It's all available now on Patreon.com. Andrew Brandt. If you're able, please join, select your tier, and be able to have further content and interaction with me patreon.com slash Brand, I hope you join. Okay, I encourage you to check out my Patreon page for more content, for more access, all those good things. I think it'll be a nice thing for both of us, the listeners who want to jump in and myself. Now, to the news of the day, it's been quite a week. I want to talk about race, uh, give you some personal background. I grew up in Washington, D.C., I grew up in uh, a nice area. Across from me in Chevy Chase, Maryland was a park called Candy Cane Park. I used to go there all the time, dribble my basketball down, wait to get picked to play on a five and five. And I was usually one of the only white players and probably the shortest one of all. So I'd be the last one picked always and some team would begrudgingly reluctantly take me on and we'd play five on five. And I think one of the moments that stands out in my life is when I made a move and somehow juked my way through the whole team and made a basket over the trees and laid it in. And it was just silence. And then one of the alpha guys said, Hey, shorty can ride shorty can ride. And it's always sort of when I'm, when I'm, when I'm not doing well or when I think I can't, I just think to myself, Shorty can ride. <laughs> it's just the way I think about things. Anyway, I grew up working for my dad in the summers. He's a general contractor, and I didn't work for him in the office. I worked for him at the, at the pit, whatever house he was building, whatever housing development he was building. He was building a hotel one time, uh, the Holiday Inn in Alexandria, Virginia, and I would be on the pit. And I would be the only white kid, and they look at me. They call me BJ Boss Junior. They BJ, what are you doing out here with us? Why aren't you down in the pool? Why aren't you in air conditioning? And I said, This is what I'm doing. You know, this is what I did. And I had, I was a laborer's helper, and I got them tools, and I got them lunch, and I hang hang with these guys. And it was just a great experience for me. Again, I'm not bragging that I'm the only white kid around, but it was just an experience. And then I didn't make my varsity high school basketball team, so I played on a boys' league team. I was the only white kid on my team and one of two or three in the whole league. You know, it's just just telling you my experiences. So my point is, I didn't see race, uh, black people as a minority. <laughs> I didn't see black people, I saw black people as a majority in my experiences. And it's just a different way of looking at things because... I just felt like race was something that was there and I was the minority in a lot of situations. Now, in other cases, I'd go to school, which was primarily white, a suburban school, a private school in Bethesda, Maryland. My best friend was a black guy. I was a Jewish guy. We were both one of very few of either of those, those types in the school. And maybe that's what drew us together. Um, You know, and then throughout my life, again, going cross country to Stanford, very white, very non-diverse, back to Georgetown Law in Capitol Hill, not at Georgetown, on the other side of the city, very diverse. Uh and then being an agent and working with primarily black players, and then of course my time in Green Bay. I'll talk about that because What happened in Green Bay is an extremely different situation than I've ever dealt with. It's an extremely homogenous, parentheses, white population, non-diverse, and it's always been that way. And when people talk about racism, and it's interesting, I'm not comparing this to Minneapolis, although it's the same homogeneity up there, although they do have a black population, as does Milwaukee, but not Green Bay. Uh, so I dealt with this a lot. I would have to deal with agents and players sort of asking me, usually in the recruiting process for free agency, a question such as this, Andrew, are there any black people up there? And I would say, I had to be honest. I would just say, no, no, they're not. But I'm Jewish. You know, not a lot of Jews up here. I get by. We do well. We have a good time. And you really have to sell other things, that the town wraps itself around you like no other town, that you will be all football, that it's like a college town, all those things. But you're not selling diversity. So it was tough. Forget about any feelings toward racism or any. It just was tough trying to sell Green Bay, Wisconsin to black players. And we had to draft well, and we had to sign guys early in their contract streams so they wouldn't have this taste or temptation to get out of there to more diverse cities so it was something I dealt with a lot and even the people are very sweet I love the people of Green Bay in that region their humility their kindness but there is a lack of knowledge it's not really racism it's just ignorance I'll never forget this story you know we had barbers come every Friday to cut the guy's hair and we had a guy come up from Milwaukee, Fred, most popular guy in, in to the team ever, cut the black guy's hair. And we had this woman cut white guy's hair. And she'd cut Brett Favre's hair for years and everyone else. And one day, I'll never forget it, Fred doesn't show. It was something I dealt with a lot. <laughs> he just didn't show. And the woman, I'll keep her name out of this, um, she just kind of said in front of this whole stack of guys that's lining up for their haircuts when Fred didn't come, they were disappointed to hear he couldn't make it. She says, you know, she looks at me, she goes, "Uh, you know, I can cut colored people's hair. Just like that. So I said, can I talk to you? I moved her out of the room because everyone shot her these looks. And I brought her into, it was a little cubbyhole. And I said, listen, you can't say that. She said, say what? And I said, colored people. She said, why not? That's what we always say. I said, well, no, you can't. That's just not what you say. It's not respectful. She did not know. And I saw that ignorance. And I'm not saying ignorance even in a pejorative way. It's just simple ignorance. It's just not racist. It's just they didn't know. They're they're not used to dealing with black people, despite... The majority of players on the Packers being black, they're not dealing with black people on a regular basis. They're just not there. So I use all this backdrop to talk about race and my experiences with it. And that's why as it permeates discussion around the country today, I just feel like we're in a place where I just wonder how much progress we're making in all these things about Let's have a conversation. We've heard that so many times before. Um, and then you know it all it comes back to the elephant in the room with Kaepernick, and I've posted a few times about what he said when he first knelt or sat years and years ago. It was believe it is four years now, and he talked about police brutality and he talked about police killing people and not getting suspended and not getting fired and he talked about inequal treatment of races, and everyone conflated what he was doing with the flag because it was during the anthem, and I, I just, I feel a little complicit in that because I'm doing spots for ESPN, I'm doing my columns, and whether it's the producers on TV or the producers digitally, they're like, well, let's just call it anthem protests or let's call it flag protests, and I'm like, it's not really that, but I'm complicit because I, I gave in, you know, I'm not going to fight them on that. They don't want to call it racial inequality, police brutality protests. Okay, that wasn't going to sell for ESPN. That wasn't going to sell for the columns I was writing. So I guess that's where we are. And I just feel like Kaepernick is finally getting his due now, but it's too late. I mean, he's not going to get signed. And even if a team signed him, it would look like a play. And and speaking of looking like a play, it's just... I'm frustrated with a lot of these statements. They don't really say anything. You know, PR, it's like someone told me, this is why sometimes you hate PR people, because they really take away the humanity. They take away the transparency, what people really want to say. And again, I'm not putting myself above anyone. I just find it hard to believe that now is the time to write these statements about diversion and inclusion and diversity. Because... Where were these statements a month ago, a year ago, six months ago? Where were these statements when Colin Kaepernick was saying all the things he was saying? They weren't nowhere to be found. And now they're here? You know, the George Floyd situation was a a matchstick that lit the torch of a lot of fuming. And we can't, nothing happens in a vacuum. Of course, it's related to what's happening in this country now. This massive unemployment, people frustrated staying at home, seeing loved ones die, seeing what a toll this is bringing on the country, and of course leadership, but I'm not going to go there, but leadership has not been empathetic, has not been compassionate, has not shown any empathy for the dying among the coronavirus, and of course for what's happened to the racial inequality and police brutality. In fact, he's gone the other way. So this is all adhering. So I guess where do we come out of this? With sports, it's always been that refuge and we don't even have that now. You know, if sports was going on now, we would be having these moments of silence for George Floyd. We would have this solidarity through sports. But I think what we're realizing (laughs) is that doesn't work either. You know, that works for a while it gets people going things change you know change happens in increments and we feel great after 911 when we chant america and we feel great after the boston marathon when we chant boston strong and we feel great after we talk about these evils that are going away but coronavirus is not going anywhere and racial tension's not going anywhere so i guess my point you know, I'm listening to a lot of people and I guess what I've sort of come up with is the way to do something rather than say something, the way that you get noticed in terms of what you're doing. And I, and I haven't done it. I'm not saying I'm the, I'm the one, but I think this is true for everything in life. Do something hard, right? To me, it's all about doing something hard. And it's like the way I live my life and hard is a relative term. But when I get up, I do my push-ups and sit-ups, I write, I read, uh, I journal, and that's all before opening up social media, email, because those are easy, right? And I'm not saying all the things that I just mentioned are really hard, but they're harder than email and social media. So... The way to, you know, people say, well, what can I do? And they're asking black people. I think my my thought is always in these situations is do something hard. Tweeting is not hard. I've tweeted a lot. It's not hard. I'm not doing anything special, although I lo- I've lost a lot of Twitter followers. That's fine. Whatever. Um, statements are not hard. They're not hard. Talking to black people, a little harder. What's hard? Protesting, walking, a little harder. The one thing I thought would be a hard thing to do that would make a difference is if you see, if these people see an encounter or a potential encounter between police and a black person, stand in front. And I saw a girl do this in one of the clips, so many out there. A teenage girl or young adult girl stand in front of the black person and the and the policeman who is approaching him with some antagonism. That's hard. That's doing something hard. Another thing to do hard is really to listen. And I know listening doesn't sound very hard, but I think the most impactful words that someone can say to anyone about anything, there are a lot of them, but one of the most impactful phrases, you can hear from someone is, is these four words. How can I help? How can I help? And I know black people are like, yeah, we don't want to hear from white people about this, about that. We're done with, but maybe not right now, but when the storm passes and everybody kind of moves on with the rest of their life, that's hard. You know, even tweeting then when it's all moved past us, that's hard. So again, my only thought is do something hard. Um, and sports will bring us together in some ways here. With sports on the horizon, it will be a galvanizing moment, and I love the power of sports. I always say this. you know, when I'm walking down a street and I see one person talking to another that seem to have no common bond whether it's race, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's job, whether it's single versus married person, older, younger. It's usually sports, right? They're usually talking about sports. Not always, not always, but they're usually talking about sports. So to me, it's the great equalizer. It's the great unifier. It's the great galvanizer. And I love to see it you know sports has been a huge part of my life and still is and just letting you know my thoughts about it so in some we're at a tough time but you know i know the the cliche this too shall pass it shall the virus this but let's just try to be better you know be better be good uh again i do the easy stuff i tweet out quotes i tweet out thoughts i tweet out things and i talk and i teach In a relative sense, that's easy. In another relative sense, that's a lot more than others are doing. But try to do something hard with your life um, in in this situation now. Something that makes you a little uncomfortable, but you'll feel better afterwards. I'm trying to find the right thing for me. But one thing I do think about is, you know, putting yourself in, harm's way is too strong a word, but putting yourself in between the forces coming at black people that you want to respect and help or put yourself in between, put yourself on the other side. No, I'm a lawyer. So lawyers by nature, see both sides of things. And I'll say this, I do feel for policemen who are sitting there being taunted and having things thrown at them and they're being painted with a broad brush for what this Minnesota cop did. But the issue here is systematic. And it just seems like nothing has changed what Kaepernick pointed out. And now, of course, Kaepernick, who was a pariah, his beliefs back four years ago are being espoused by those who hated him. Uh, So it brings us back to where we were. Okay, those are my thoughts for this week's business of sports. I thought I should just share them. As everyone's doing, this is a good forum for me to do that. And I wanted to do it. And I appreciate doing it and I'll leave it at that. And now I want to welcome our new sponsor DraftKings. It's a brand new partnership. You know them as the leader in daily fantasy, but you may not know they've launched America's top rated sports book app. Their expertise is now on the app right here in the U S you can rest assured your funds are totally secure. Like this Saturday UFC 250 starts the June sports calendar you can sign up, get in on the action, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app, use the code ROSS, all caps, R-O-S-S. All new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus $1,000. Enter the code ROSS, all caps, get your $1,000 sign-up bonus today. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, a new sponsor of the Business of Sports podcast. And that'll do it. Thanks for listening to this emotional uh, Business of Sports podcast with me, Andrew Brandt, brought to you by our extraordinary producer, Brian Neal, the music underscoring and the music underscoring. The Patreon information is by the one and only Sam Brandt, my son. Apple podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated. And thanks again for listening. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.